Good morning. Thank you to Mike and Marsha. Uh, I want to thank everybody who came to the baby shower for Carrie yesterday. Carrie's back uh, running the video today. Um, but on behalf of her and from myself as well, I just want to sincerely thank everybody. Uh, we, we truly appreciate that and uh, just very blessed. And um, the baby's definitely spoiled, but we definitely appreciate it. And uh, so thank you all. Um, we'll be in John chapter 15 this morning. And uh, Carrie's at 36 weeks today, so if she stands up and bolts for the door, I'll just, I might have to end it since, but hopefully not this morning. But um, I was talking to a good friend of mine this week who has seven kids, and I asked him, I was like, you know, by the time you get to seven, like, are there, can you start to see some signs that, like, it's getting close? He said, no, nah, it just happens. And I thought, oh, that's great. Um, <laughs> but, reminds me of in the Gospels where, in the New Testament, where it says that Jesus will uh, come back like a thief in the night. Uh, seems like that's kind of how it is with childbirth. But, again, we are very excited. Uh, John chapter 15, verses 18 to 25 is where we'll be this morning. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now that they have no excuse for their sin, whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated me, both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. Would you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day and for, again, the opportunity to come together to worship you, to praise you, to sing to you, to pray to you, to hear from your word. Lord, and I pray that your word would point us to you and to your truth. Lord, I pray that we would be shaped and transformed by your word and conformed to your image as we study your scripture. Lord, on this weekend where we remember the 20th anniversary of the September 11th terrorist attacks, Lord, we pray for those who lost family members and for those who continue to face post-traumatic stress disorder and consequences of that day. People who firsthand were first responders or office building employees who had to witness and experience and help out in the midst of those horrors and who carry those burdens to this day. And we pray for them, Lord. Lord, we also continue to pray for Christians in other parts of the world who suffer for your name. Lord, as we look at a passage that talks about persecution, let us remember that there are people all over the world who do not enjoy the freedoms that we have. Lord, especially now we pray for those who are in Afghanistan. Lord, who 
are in perilous situations because of being identified with you. Lord, we pray for them. Lord, we, again, pray that as we take this time to study your word, that you would bless that time. Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, my rock and my redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. It is amazing to consider the contrast between last week's section and this week's section. Last week, Jesus talked about friendship and how his followers are his friends and how we need to be friends with each other and love each other. This week, it's a passage about how the world hates his friends. The opposition that the people of God face is something that is talked about throughout the New Testament. And as we begin this morning, I want to give just a few examples from the New Testament. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3, shortly before Paul himself was martyred, he tells Timothy to share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ. Same book, Paul again warns Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.12, saying that everyone who desires to live a godly life will suffer. All desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Jesus talks about suffering in the Beatitudes, in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 through 12. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Same chapter. Jesus commands the disciples in Matthew 5.44 to love their enemies and pray for those who persecute them. And in a similar sentiment, Paul says in Romans 12.14, Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them. In Matthew chapter 10, verses 16 to 18, Jesus warns the disciples of the persecution that they will face. I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpent and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues, and you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles." The Apostle John, who also wrote the Gospel of John, where we'll be this morning, said in 1 John chapter 3, verse 13, Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. And with all of that, we'll jump into our passage, though there's many more examples. Really, the whole book of 1 Peter is about persecution and suffering for Christ. But we'll jump into our passage because it's on a similar thought. That the Lord Jesus, on the night before he's crucified, is talking about this to his disciples on his way to the cross. And with that, we'll jump right in. John 15, verse 18, Jesus says, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. It should not be surprising when people oppose the gospel and Christianity. It's unfortunate. It's tragic, but it shouldn't be surprising. It's what Christians should expect. Jesus says, verse 19, 
If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. If we were just to go along with society, if we were just to go along with the values of the world, we'd be fine. But to live for Christ runs in so many ways contrary to society and what it values. And that's certainly true in present-day America. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. Certainly, persecution is not on a wide scale in America. I think we all know that. Not to the extremes that it is in so many other parts of the world. Certainly, there are places where Christians face political and legal pressure all the way to the point of facing imprisonment and death for being Christians. We don't face that. And on the immediate horizon, it seems that the greater threat is social pressure, social consequences and ostracism for holding to certain values while society runs against those values. But when we look at our passage, that shouldn't surprise us. And just because persecution has not been prevalent in America does not mean that it's never happened. And it does not mean that there's not a price for living for your faith. It was persecution that drove the pilgrims to America in the 17th century. If you look at the colonial period, the colonies tended to be pretty segmented off along religious lines. In other words, if you were to go to the Carolinas or Georgia, it wasn't just a wide sweep of Baptist and Lutheran and Catholic and Episcopal, all living on the same street. New England was more puritanical. The Mid-Atlantic was more Anglican. You had some smaller groups of other churches kind of interspersed between that. The idea of freedom of religion, which we take kind of as a given in our society in our day, in that period, in colonial times, was not universally thought of as a good thing. There were instances of persecution in early America. Or I think even of this church, 50 years ago, when it broke off of another church. No, I wouldn't say that that was extreme persecution, but there were consequences for that. There's a price to be paid for living for your faith. It costs something. It wasn't life and death, but it costs something. In our passage, Jesus says in verse 20, Remember the word that I said to you. Verse 20, Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. Christians face persecution because Jesus faced persecution. Now, as I said, serious persecution is generally pretty rare in America. But why is that? Is it just because of the First Amendment and legal protections that Christians have in this country? Certainly, that's part of it. But in American society, I submit that another part of the reason that American Christianity does not face more pushback is that it's so often too soft. 
For too many, we live in a live and let live, take it or leave it, self-help oriented gospel. Where we want to just be comfortable and attach some religious principles out of the American dream and call it a day. Do what we want to do rather than living for the gospel, living missionally. We so often want a life of ease rather than standing up for our faith and living for our faith. We want to be liked rather than risking others thinking that we're some weird religious person. We'd rather talk about nothing than talk about the most important thing in the world, the gospel, and sharing that message with others. Our society has told us you don't talk about religion and politics. Well, who agreed to that? Our society has basically trained us not to talk about our faith. That's why we don't face persecution. Because for too many, we don't give the society anything to persecute. Truly living for Christ, truly living for the gospel, truly taking up your cross causes friction. In recent generations, even for people who didn't necessarily go to church, church was still seen as a good thing. It was still seen as respectable. Although increasingly in our society, it's not seen as being quite as good. That's already happening in certain parts of America. Maybe not so much in a small town like Sister Park, where there's still very much a religious community and church culture. But the numbers of people who are active church attenders in the Northeast and on the West Coast are far more similar to post-Christian Europe than they are to the Bible Belt South. And increasingly, saying you're a Christian, identifying as someone who goes to church, will carry more and more weight in this country. It'll mean something. We think about places around the world where people really are in danger for their faith, where people really do face serious oppression. In those places, to come forward and identify as a Christian means something. And again, we might not ever get to those extremes, but we will have to engage in a society that is becoming increasingly hostile to our faith. But as Christians, it is what we must do. In spite of that, that we must go forward. We must carry the banner. We must live for Christ. We must take up our cross. Why? Because we have a Savior who came into our world and died for us. And we are called to tell the world about him. To live for him and to share his message. We are called to live as his followers in the world. And as the world hated its own Savior... It also hates his followers. In our passage, Jesus says, Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. Jesus points us to his humility, which he calls us to have as well. Verse 21 into 23, Jesus says, But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. 
Whoever hates me hates my father also. In these verses, Jesus pulls no punches. Jesus says that the persecution will happen because people do not truly know his father. And in verse 23, he says that the people who hate him ultimately hate his father. You cannot love God the Father and hate his son. In verse 22, the point that Jesus is making is ultimately that he has come as the divine revelation of the world. And there is judgment for rejecting what Christ has said. The world had the revelation of the teachings, ministry, and signs of Christ himself, yet was still blind to the gospel. But all of this was ultimately according to God's divine plan. Verses 24 and 25. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without cause. That the world hated its own savior. The opposition that Jesus faced as the righteous, holy son of God in the world. And yet they killed him anyway. In fulfillment of what had been foretold in the Old Testament. Jesus gives no middle ground. He is the way, the truth, and the life, or he's none of those things. There's no middle ground. And this is a message which offends the world. Why? The answer to that question has already been given in this gospel. John 3, 19, Jesus says, This is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. People loved darkness. People love sin more than righteousness. And people hate Jesus because he confronts us with sin. The good news of the gospel is that you're a sinner and you're dead in your sins, but Jesus has died to bring eternal life to all who believe in him. But what that means is that you cannot save yourself. You cannot be good enough. And what that means is that your sin must be atoned for. That there is a debt we cannot pay. That you're not just fine. You're not good enough. And the world hates that message. Lots of people call themselves Christians because they're not atheists. And they live in America. And America has a Christian heritage. And so they say, I'm a Christian. But when you really talk to them... The reason why they think they're going to heaven is not because of the blood of Christ. It's because they think that they're good. That is not the gospel. Reasons why the world hates the gospel. First, some people don't like Jesus because they feel like he asks us of too much. They feel like they need to give up too much. They don't like his lordship and don't want to submit a knee to Christ. Submit to Christ and bend the knee to him. Second, some people don't like some of his moral teachings. And either invent a Jesus who didn't say the things that he said or reject him altogether. 
Third, some people don't like the exclusivity of Christ. But what about a person who follows this religion or that religion? Why shouldn't they be just as good? Because it's not based in the truth. Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. Again, that is a message that offends the world. It is either the gospel of salvation to you, or it is nonsense. It is something to be hated. Fourth, people don't like Jesus because they maybe prayed to him, and it didn't go the way they wanted And the thing a person prayed for might have been very legitimate. There are lots of legitimate prayers that we make that don't get the answers that we hope for. But for some, that's the reason why they hate Jesus or why they say they don't believe in Jesus. Fifth, some people don't like Jesus because they don't like his church. Now, to be fair, there are plenty of bad churches. And there are very serious abuses which have happened in churches. Those are serious things. And we should not overlook that harm. There are some churches who are not faithful. There are churches who can be very legalistic and teach a moralistic gospel. And that's exhausting. And it's also not the gospel. There are bad pastors and unhealthy churches. But the gospel is still the gospel, and Jesus is still Jesus. When we were in John chapter 10, and Jesus talked of himself as the good shepherd, in John 10, 12, Jesus said, He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. And there are other places in the New Testament that warn of wolves coming into the church. Jesus calls the shepherds to guard the flock and protect against wolves. But sadly, there are some churches that are run by wolves. And when they are, it's disastrous. Again, there is tremendous harm that can be caused by churches. And we should be there for those people. We should support and love those people who have suffered abuse in a church setting. But again, the solution to a bad experience in the church is not running in the opposite direction. The answer is Jesus. It's interesting, more and more I've been seeing articles about what's known as this uh, ex-evangelical movement. So evangelical with the word ex is in there, no longer evangelicals. And oftentimes it's people who don't identify as Christians anymore. And it's interesting how many times, and there's various reasons why people go this route. Sometimes it is because of abuse in the church. Sometimes it's because of lots of different reasons. But it's interesting when I I look into the background and I see some people who are ex-evangelical who on so many areas have run totally the opposite way. Sometimes to the point of being very outspoken in their disdain for Christianity and and God. The answer is not to just swing to the other extreme. 
as a side note, this is something I've talked to people to talk about with people before, but culturally, I think that's something that we tend to do in America. I think generations of parents can do that. That one thing didn't work, and so the next generation, instead of any nuance, just swings to the other extreme. I think we do that with lots of areas. I think we can do that in marriage. I think we can do that in life decisions, where we just think that this didn't work, so I'm going to do the opposite. That's not always the answer. And when it comes to Christ, that's never the answer. To just do the opposite thing and totally turn your back on him. Sixth, some people hate Jesus because they don't know Jesus. They don't know of the grace that he offers. They don't know who he really is. They don't know of the life that he offers, the forgiveness that he gives, the truth that he points us to, the good things that he wants for us. And because the world hates Jesus, the world also hates his followers. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 15 and 16, Paul talks of the church and how we're perceived in the world when he says, We are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. Despite the fact that the world is opposed to the gospel, there will be those who are drawn to the gospel, who are drawn to Jesus. And we are called to reach those people. To some, it's the stench of death, but to others, the people of God, living out their faith, are the aroma of life. Again, we live in a world that is opposed to Jesus. And as his followers, we too face that. There might be the temptation to think, well, I don't want that. That doesn't sound pleasant. And honestly, in America, we somewhat still have a choice. We can lay low. We can hide. We can be like the Apostle Peter, deny Christ. We can hide in the shadows. That's something that we can do in America. In many parts of the world, as I said earlier, to identify yourself with Christ There's no such opportunity. To associate with Christ is to put yourself in danger. It's to put yourself in harm's way. Why do those people do that? Because it's the truth. We can sit back and live a quiet life, keep silent, let the culture keep going around us, not speak up. We can do that. But what a sad life that is for the Christian. Because we're not called to sit on the bench. We're called to live the life that Jesus has for us. And that life is not primarily about the American dream. It's about living for his glory. That life is not primarily about ourselves. That life is not about living for what is fleeting, but living for what is eternal. When we say that living for Christ will result in persecution, the point of that is certainly not that we're called to be obnoxious or unkind, but that as we live lives to God's glory, as we live lives of moral conviction, the world will oppose that. As we live lives of integrity, something that 
logically, we would all think is a good thing. I'm sure some of us have faced situations where either a boss or an employer didn't appreciate that. And as we share the good news with others, there's discomfort in that. But we must learn to be uncomfortable. It's because missionaries risked their lives to bring the gospel to hostile lands that the message of Christ spread throughout the world. And if you're a Christian, it is because someone loved you enough to tell you about Jesus. And we too are called to have that same concern. We must be loving in our interactions with people. But part of loving people is also caring about their spiritual well-being and eternal security. And for the ones who do that well, our passage today tells us that the world will hate you. The point of this passage is not about striving to be opposed. It's about striving to live for Christ in a world that opposes him. Would you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, we again thank you that you are a good, merciful, and loving Father. Lord, in various ways, we too have been opposed to you in our life before we knew you. Wanting to do things our own way. Lord, we pray that we would be a church of people who are dedicated to you, who are light in the world, who bear fruit, who shine as light, who are salt in the world, who serve and love others well, who live lives that display your glory to the world, that we can be the aroma of life to people who don't know you. In Jesus' name, amen.